You're listening to the Onside Podcast, the podcast for innovation-driven entrepreneurship here in Atlantic Canada. I'm your host, Alex McCann, and this is season two, episode 20, and our theme is sustainable futures. Today, our guest is Jen Angel, the CEO of Evergreen. She's a builder of community, momentum, and places that people love. Together with partners, Jen builds inclusive, sustainable places that attract people and investment, enhance resilience, and contribute to the well-being for all. In 2021, Jen was recognized as one of Atlantic Business Magazine's top 50 CEOs and the most powerful woman in Atlantic Canada in 2022. She recently received the inaugural Wajay Winin Allyship Award in 2022 from the Mi'kmaq Native Friendship Center. She is a co-founder of the annual Art of City Building Conference, bringing placemaking leaders from around the world to Halifax. Jen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Onside Podcast. We're glad that you've come back and we'd love to hear a little bit more about you and what you're thinking about. And uh, yeah, why don't we get started off for our guests who didn't uh, hear you last time. Can you share a little bit about your background and, and who you are? Yeah, sure, Alex. It's so great to be back. Thanks for the invitation. So I lead an organization called Evergreen, based in Toronto, but with a national mandate to build a better future through better public spaces. Before that, I was working with Develop Nova Scotia here in Halifax with a mandate very similar to build great public spaces and through that to contribute to the magnetism of Nova Scotia to attract people an economic development crown corporation. I was born and raised in Halifax, went to university here, studied philosophy, and then did an MBA. <laughs> MBA and, philosopher. MBA <laughs> philosopher, marketing, philosophy, sort of a seller of ideas, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, along the way, had sort of a side hustle in real estate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so those things have kind of all converged in the work that I'm doing today, which is about kind of, as I said, building great public places for people that work hard for climate and for community. They build economy. And uh, and I think this is increasingly important. I think they can work hard for building stronger social connections that mm-hmm. we really need to solve some of the bigger problems before us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked uh, previously about kind of uh, disconnection and loneliness mm. and all these things. Um, before we j- dive down into those super deep, deep, deep uh, kind of questions. Uh, so you're now at uh, at Evergreen. Formerly, you were here in Nova Scotia at uh, Develop Nova Scotia, but you're at Evergreen now. And what is the mission of Evergreen? Like, what do, what does Evergreen do? Yeah, I mean, and I think it is sort of this simple. We're, we are trying to build a better future through better public spaces. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Evergreen is unique because it operates at the intersection of public sector mm-hmm. in that we steward uh, significant public lands. So we kind of operate at this place where we can take risks and be innovative uh, in the nature of the work that we do. And we also have the opportunity to do some of that experimentation in public lands in the public interest. So there's a trust that exists sort of across the sectors that I think is kind of unique and very powerful to make places work harder for community. Awesome. Well, that's uh, really interesting, the work that Evergreen is doing and kind of that intersection of the different partners that that you mentioned. And I know that the work that you're doing is focused on kind of fostering really inclusive and innovative 
cities and places and, and things like that. And, and you guys have some work that you're doing around something called Future Cities. Can you tell our audience a little bit about what Future Cities is and what that is? What's that about? Yeah. So it's a collection of programs primarily around convening folks, again, across sectors to work together thoughtfully Mm -hmm. to drive thinking around how we build cities of the future. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people's minds go immediately to technology Mm -hmm. in that context. Uh, And there is uh, lots of work around tech, including um, an AI for cities tool that's actually on our website uh, that identifies heat sources in cities that can help be an aid for city planning. But it's as much about challenging the way we're doing things through in a broader sense. So, for example, one of the things uh, that's very exciting, and it's emerged uh, not only through our future cities convenings, but more generally, is the role of Indigenous-led uh, or Indigenous co-governance frameworks mm. in reimagining our approach to cities. Mm-hmm. So when we're now coming to the realization that we can't continue to extract and extract and extract Mm -hmm. from the planet and expect there aren't going to be impacts. Mm -hmm. And we're feeling acutely the impacts of climate change, of course. When we look to Indigenous communities who have lived uh, for a very long time Mm -hmm. uh, in this place and have stewarded it uh, very well, I think there's a ton we can learn there. So so when we're talking future cities, Mm -hmm. in some cases, we're talking about learning Uh, Mm -hmm. from something that's been around for a very long time, Mm -hmm. but with humility and not, uh, and some of the, then challenging some of the assumptions that we've relied on uh, for a very long time. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So it's not all about uh, creating this tech utopia city of the future where, you know, everybody's like uh, riding around on self-driving cars. The Jetsons. Yeah. The Jetsons. The Jetsons. The Jetsons. It's really thinking about how do we create a sustainable future city environment where we all live and feel feel comfortable. You got it. That's a okay. great way to frame it. Yeah. yeah. And and technology is a part of that. We we use that to help us, yes. but it's not the the only thing that's that's important there. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I like that. And you know, uh, we've talked about this before and we do some work here in in Nova Scotia kind of in rural communities and mm-hmm. thinking about how rural communities can get connected to some of these ideas and and concepts and you know, with the work that you're doing with with future cities, are there any takeaways that rural communities could think about or Yeah, I mean, so we're we're primarily focused on cities because mm-hmm. the majority of population, I think 50% of the world's population live in cities and and over the next uh, couple of decades it'll it's expected to grow to 70%, a lot of industry is centered in cities. So there are uh, significant levers for Mm -hmm. change. So if we have to focus somewhere, that's an important place to focus. But I think the lessons apply in a rural context in many cases, Mm -hmm. too. Uh, And I think you said it when you just sort of framed, you know, the response to the last question. I think it's about when you're making infrastructure investments, make them work harder. Mm -hmm. Think about how this is going to shape you know, how, how you move around, mm-hmm. how you participate, what life looks like, what you're prioritizing. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're now faced with is actually undoing mm. a lot of the things that we did within mm-hmm. the last 50 years. And I think the Cogswell mm-hmm. Project in Halifax is a great example. Mm-hmm. So rather than sort of doing the things we know how to do well, like building roads, road builders are really good at building roads. <laughs> so the question is not 
necessarily how to build roads differently. It's whether we should really be building those things Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Or if we are building the road, how is it servicing us? Like, you know, what else can it do or what? How else is it going to reach a community? Sure. And and I think challenging our, the communities we're building, because mm-hmm. we are making very large investments in, you know, new housing, for example, do they need to be greenfield mm-hmm. or could we build greater density in our cities? And, you know, this conversation is playing out in Toronto right now, too, and in lots of other places. And I think we're too quick to go out rather than go up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with municipal budget challenges right now in Halifax, mm-hmm. uh, as, as cities are across the country. If you can build where services already exist and build density, mm-hmm. that's a lot more cost effective and a lot more efficient long term, mm-hmm. too. So we're thinking about the life cycle cost mm-hmm. of things the responsibility to mm-hmm. sustain them over time, which is often a public responsibility, which then gets passed on mm-hmm. to the taxpayers to support, and they're contemplating a tax hike, as you know. Mm-hmm. So it's we need to respond quickly because the challenges are enormous and our population has been growing really quickly, mm-hmm. but we can't use that pace mm-hmm. as a cover for making bad decisions mm-hmm. or old decisions. We know better now. Mm-hmm. We need to imbue our decisions with that experience mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. knowledge. Yeah. We don't want to rush towards bad decisions with the urgency of just needing to make a decision. Yeah. We want to try to think through the problem and, and come up with long-lasting solutions because they will be there for a long time. It, it's interesting. I, I lived in uh, Japan for two years. I lived in uh, Nagoya, and I also lived in Osaka. Nice. And uh, you think about densification. Mm. <laughs> I think they've got densification, like, on Dialed, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, people live in a different way and adapt to their environment. And it's the same as New York or Toronto or other places. And it does sort of change the way that we live and connect with each other. But um, these things are all possible. And um, even in Halifax, I see we're starting to build up. When I first moved here, I uh, did some volunteer work for an urban development action committee or something. I can't remember. And uh, there was a lot of talk about uh, densification, bringing things in because everything was just sprawling, sprawling outwards. And I've been here for a while now, and it's nice to see that it's actually coming up. And then I think we'll be thinking about where is that going to go kind of next. Yeah. And it it doesn't have to be, you know, 50-story point towers. Yeah. Like, could be— That may not make sense for us here. No. And and in some cases it might, and it—but it isn't sort of the extreme. And and folks who are advocating for greenfield development for sprawl— Mm -hmm. which can be a lot easier, are often sort of using that argument that people causes anxiety for people. You know, Mm -hmm. it's going to be this concrete jungle and the downtown Mm -hmm. nature of the downtown is going to change. Again, like there's more nuance in it than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think we need to be prepared to stand up on the other side and say, no, it doesn't have to look like that. Mm -hmm. And we know that if we build out, we are putting more cars on the road and we're contributing then to Mm -hmm. the problem of climate, not Mm -hmm. to the solution. And we need to start incentivizing Mm -hmm. and rewarding companies that are contributing to the solutions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of uh, interest and in, in concern about that. I, I was going to ask about Brickworks, but I'll come back to that yeah. in a minute because I think you touched on climate. And there is a lot of focus now on climate mitigation and adaptation. It's on people's minds. And we just saw COP27. And now we have stuff going on in Montreal. And, you know, people are protesting. Some people are engaged. You know, it's... Uh, 
this is the season where there's a lot of thinking um, yeah. and people are talking about climate emergency, climate anxiety. A lot of young people are worried they'll never be able to afford a house or, you know, these kinds of things. What What are some things that you're thinking about, you know, as it sort of relates to climate adaptation and kind of the, the yeah. built environment? And you talked about incentivizing Builders, and you know, there's all these things like LEED and you know, LEED certified yeah. buildings. And we, you know, talked about technology from future cities that can be embedded. I just was looking at my, uh, I was looking at my my power bill the other day, and I was like, oh my god, how much money are we spending just to plug things in? I was like, I was like, children, turn off all of these devices. Like we're just using electricity for no reason. It's just yeah. being sucked in, you know, and things are going up. But I think that's exactly <laughs> the point. We need to change behavior, mm-hmm. and. You know, I, so I my first day at Evergreen, I almost missed because of Hurricane Fiona. Mm-hmm. I was to fly out Saturday morning. I ended up bumping it up to I was actually gone by the time the storm hit. But Fiona was uh, called by some a once in a generation storm. Mm-hmm. I think it's the third or fourth I've experienced in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are things that are becoming very common. And so what I'm thinking about, frankly, is that the scale of the challenge before us is way bigger than I think people realize. I mean, Mm -hmm. so when Montreal, people in Montreal now talking about biodiversity Mm -hmm. loss and collapse, and I'm just not sure we are sufficiently responding to the scale and complexity of the issue. I think we're arguing about, you know, the carpet and the house is on fire. Mm, You know, I I printed off the uh, power usage because I'm talking, you know, I got to family, we've got five in the house yeah. and just thinking about, um, you know, saving money, how we're treating stuff. Can you please not wash clean clothes again for the 10th time because you're too lazy to put it right. away? This, you know, we're using up water and power and all of these things and kind of trying to connect it back to your everyday actions. And I think about that a lot as well, because it is your own individual responsibility yeah. and your own individual everyday actions. I may not be in the position to plan a, a city or, or put things like that, but it is your your individual decision of how many times you're going to wash your clean clothes as my kids. And it's, you know, some people say, well, my one choice is not going to, and I don't have to tell you that that, mm-hmm. you know, that that's, it, it is about a collection. But I also think it's about changing the conversation mm-hmm. broadly about what is Required, like mm-hmm. what I think, if we can get a population of people who appreciate the risk mm-hmm. of the time we are in mm-hmm. and the requirement for action, that will also create a climate where decision makers and you know policy setters and government will not have any choice but to act, mm-hmm. even making the big tough decisions that we need. Hard decisions. Yeah, yeah. you're right. The once in a hundred year storm is like three times a year. Yeah. And if you live on a coast or desert or, well, pretty much anywhere, yeah, uh, your things are burning more, it's drier, sea level rise, all of these kinds of things. And so it'll hit you eventually. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's not your turn for that, you know, fifth hurricane or tornado or whatever, but it'll, it'll come. Well, and it's disproportionately impacting countries mm-hmm. who are not the main drivers of the problem. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're feeling it here. We're not feeling it to the extent of some parts of the world Mm -hmm. where, you know, places are becoming virtually uninhabitable Mm -hmm. due to, you know, rise in temperature and other things. So, you know, it's, um, we need to work together to solve the problem and Mm -hmm. it includes making difficult decisions. And Mm -hmm. I, I worry that we're not 
moving fast enough and we're not making big enough changes mm-hmm. uh, to sufficiently meet the scale and complexity of the challenge. Yeah. Well, one of our uh, previous guests was from a company called Drinkable. They focus on okay. water, water uh, sensing technology for pathogens, bacteria, you know, make sure you have safe drinking water. And that was another thing that came up in that conversation as well is that uh, – people are on the move migrating because they don't have access to water because the climate is changing and the water holes, you know, are are drying up. Uh, And this has a ripple effect of what we're seeing. So big, big things to big things to think about, big things to think about. Well, let's change gears a a little bit. Um, Another thing I know you're working on at Evergreen is you have this really amazing space called Brickworks, which is kind of right, I'm going to say it's in the center of Toronto, but it's like... Sort of is, the Lockdown Valley. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it's, uh, I call it like a green space in Toronto. So tell us a little bit about what's going on there and what you're trying to kind of showcase that that can happen there. Yeah, so that site, exactly as you described, is adjacent to the ravine system. Uh, So Canada's big city has this extraordinary green space that with really courageous and uh, visionary, I would suggest, leadership was preserved. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's still... So the brickworks was a former brick factory. The bricks were run down the river. The Mm -hmm. mud was harvested from the river Mm -hmm. and the bricks were created there. So it's an industrial site that was recapitalized under the visionary leadership of the former CEO, Jeff Cape. And this adaptive reuse project uh, has become and continues to become a demonstration site for how to build regenerative cities. And Mm -hmm. so the word was sustainable de rigueur for Mm -hmm. a long time, sustainability. I think we're now moving from something more than that. We want places not just to be sort of held, but to actually work hard to heal the environment. And so this is some of the stuff we're thinking about at the Brickworks, how to create Mm -hmm. a space that actually tests some of this emerging technology, some of the emerging thinking, including Mm -hmm. uh, exploring uh, Indigenous co-governance structures and engage people, including governments, including not-for-profit, including uh, private sector, to come together and challenge thinking mm-hmm. about how to build cities. Mm-hmm. So we uh, it's already a well-loved public space in Toronto. It needs better accessibility, it needs mm-hmm. enhanced programming. There's all sorts of things where, you know, that are sort of low-hanging fruit to work through. Uh, but I think it's the bones of something, a really interesting idea and again it's about how to do cities differently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like a little uh model or showcase for things that uh, cities or places might uh, want to adopt, whether it's technology or I, I've been to the space. So yeah. you even have green spaces out with like different kinds of grasses that could be grown or, you know, things like that. Exactly. And so it's a huge site for nature place. Mm-hmm. It runs a, a lot of children's programming as well. Um, and I, yeah, I think it is about how do we bring people together to sort of co-create solutions to some of these mm-hmm. big problems before us. And I we've been really you know, lucky that we've been able to attract significant private sector investment to the mm-hmm. challenge as well. Uh, and I do believe to the tips of my toes that <laughs> the solutions that we need are not going to come from an order of government mm-hmm. or from one particular mm-hmm. organization. They really are going to come from us working together. Mm-hmm. Um 
across sectors and across communities. And I think this space is about bringing people together to dig into just that. Mm, I love it. I love it. Well, for anyone who's listening, I highly encourage you to go to the Brickworks. It's a beautiful space uh, outdoors. I think I went maybe in the, the fall. I got to walk kind of a along some of nice. the, the trails that were there. I feel like it'd be even more beautiful kind of in the spring or, or summer, but it was still lovely with the the change of the, the seasons. Well, one thing you talked about or you mentioned, or I think you've talked about this a couple times, I heard you mention this, uh, was around this idea of uh, indigenous co-governance. And, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of equity and inclusion, yeah. and it's something at, at Onset we're really interested in is um, – this idea around inclusive innovation. Can you share with us a little bit about what you mean by uh, indigenous co-governance? Is this something that new that you're trying at uh, Evergreen? or? Yeah, I don't think it's unique to Evergreen either. Mm-hmm. But so this idea of land ownership is, is pretty fraught. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we're thinking about is how can we leverage our stewardship responsibility, which is through a land lease, mm-hmm to explore different ways of working together with indigenous communities around land stewardship. Mm -hmm. So not about inviting indigenous people to be on site under the terms of our lease, Mm -hmm. rather relinquishing control, exploring different ways to work together such that there isn't a you know, a power imbalance that there is instead um, joint commitment to figure out different ways to do mm-hmm. public land governance. Mm-hmm. So it's like like it's early days and there's complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is it's it's pretty hard to center reconciliation or indigenous program mm-hmm. within a system of colonialism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're trying to explore what does it look like to actually mm-hmm. um what could a, a true co-governance structure look like? Mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 interested in this. I I'm involved with some some work outside of my normal you know day to day stuff where we're these are some of the ideas that we're thinking about nice. is uh, how to think about uh, at at a board level or other level. You know, we're we're operating like this now because this is a structure that's been imposed on us. Do we have to operate like this? What other way could we operate and what makes sense kind of about how we want to show up? I think that's one thing that's been interesting about COVID and the reimagining and rethinking and all of that. And maybe that would have happened before, but I just think that there's this this moment has happened where people said, yeah, this is not really working on a whole bunch of levels. Right. Now is the time. Take the opportunity now before it escapes and just try to do the work. Yeah. And, and, and kind of reimagine and, and think about that. So and I love try that. and try, try. things mm-hmm. and accept that you won't get it perfectly right. But it's sort of a journey. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of uh, the, the connection to placemaking. Like it's mm-hmm. really about it's you're never finished. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a sort of hold hands, walk the path together mm-hmm. with a commitment to with trying and failing and trying and failing mm-hmm. until we kind of mm-hmm. get it right uh, in service of this, those sort of outcomes related to environment and social justice that yeah. we know cities are a powerful lever for change. In. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think that's an, such an important point because a lot of people are afraid to engage in some of this kind of work because they just don't want to get it wrong and they feel so much pressure. But if you don't take that first step, 
<laughs> nothing, nothing changes. Nothing will change. If you keep doing the same yeah. thing, it, you know, and, and um, you have to put some some action behind your intention. So if you intend to do something, but you yeah. don't actually do it, yeah. then it doesn't, it doesn't you, uh, change anything. You make me think of um, this uh, social scientist, Ibram uh, Kendi. Mm-hmm. So I was struck by something I read of his, which was, there's no such thing as not racist. Mm-hmm. You're either racist or Mm -hmm, mm anti-racist if you're not actively working to deconstruct the systems of racism you're holding up the systems of racism yeah and i think that's true likewise in reconciliation like hanging around and waiting for things to change Mm -hmm. because you're fearful of making a mistake or for whatever reason is contributing to the problem Mm -hmm. Uh, there is no posture that is neutral yeah we talk a lot about, I do a lot of like systems change kind of yeah, work and you're yeah, yeah. holding the problem in place. Yeah, it just, exactly. It just stays there. Yeah, you I do, love if that. If you do nothing. Yeah, I love that frame. Yeah, yeah, I have that book. It's, uh, I got the full version okay. of the um, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Yes, that, yeah, that is, yeah. yeah. It's, I got the, I think there's a shorter version, which I was going to get for my kids, but I got the the big one. Okay. And uh, been slowly making my, my way through that, but a lot of really great takeaways. Yeah. I've heard him on podcast too. He's fabulous. Yeah. 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 For our podcast listeners, you can listen to that as well. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe, maybe I just have like a couple more questions um, because I'm so curious and we're always you know, looking at ways to get more people involved in, you know, some of the kind of uh, work around placemaking and innovation and these kinds of things. What, what are some ways that young people or, or others, if they're interested in placemaking or, or uh, sustainable futures or cities or things like that, what are some ways that folks could get involved or not young people, people, you yeah. know, middle-aged people? <laughs> I mean, I think most municipal governments, as they're doing planning and development, are generally working harder at inclusive Mm -hmm. engagement programs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I've seen some examples of that even in Halifax, Mm -hmm. where there's like, there's a real effort, there's a recognition that the old ways Mm -hmm. aren't cutting it. And there's a, a, a real effort to make opportunities like that more accessible, Mm -hmm. both in person and also Mm -hmm. online. But I also think like this is sort of a moment as you begin to describe sort of post-COVID <laughs> in, in other ways, but it's a moment where the importance of place mm-hmm. is really beginning to be understood mm-hmm. in a way that it hasn't before. As a, and as I said, it used to sort of be relegated to mm-hmm. the stuff stuff, the not real mm-hmm. infrastructure stuff. Now I think it's being it's becoming very central mm-hmm. and you hear a lot about place-based policy and place-based mm-hmm. um, economic development mm-hmm. strategy and, and the role of place in environment mm-hmm. and in equity and inclusion by getting behind community. And that doesn't mean only municipal governments, mm-hmm. but community organizations, uh, community-led projects. So, Because mm-hmm. I would also say one thing I learned for sure in my time in Halifax managing and mm-hmm. stewarding uh, and developing significant public spaces is that it's the little stuff as much as the big stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot you can do at a very grassroots mm-hmm. level to improve your neighborhood. And when you get out and do it, you'll find that others will get out and do it too. Mm-hmm. Like like pride of place is contagious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you can organize some great placemaking interventions with very little money and just uh, a bit of enthusiasm and commitment. And mm-hmm. part of what Evergreen's also trying to do is build a really robust online toolkit that's mm. open source that people can contribute to uh-huh. and take from any way they'd like. And my hope is we'll be able to also support 
um, some of that work through small community, mm-hmm. like tactical grants mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. over the coming years. So mm-hmm. more, to, more to come. But yeah. you'll, I think you'll find if you put your ear to the ground a little bit, there's stuff happening in community already and there's opportunities to get involved. Uh, and where you don't see one, start your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's interesting you said uh, start small. And we we did a project uh, where we yeah. helped. Uh, we worked with Volta and the Halifax Downtown Business Commission, Gritty to Pretty, Slate Asset Management. So outside of Volta, yeah. so Tech Accelerator, we, we got an inclusive innovation mural put up. And it's beautiful. It, it wasn't a lot of money, but it was kind of that what you were talking about with engaging people. We did a whole engagement yeah. session. It was kind of harder to do because was some of it had to go online because <laughs> of COVID. Uh, but Grant, who was on my team yeah. led a lot of that work and uh, it was this engagement process and and getting it up and um Ironically, I had mentioned this mural, not that I'm an expert on this, but we wanted to kind of make innovation visible and accessible to yeah. anybody. And uh, there's a person who cuts my my hair at a skate shop. <laughs> His nice. name is Joel. <laughs> and I, I mentioned this uh, mural to him and he got really interested in it. And um, he uh, did some work and, and uh, started to get involved with putting murals up on Quinpool. Okay. And so I'm not saying, I did not, I did not put any murals up on Quinpool. I'm not taking any credit whatsoever. It was just something I mentioned to him in passing and then I saw him again and he said, you know, he, he participated in that as well. And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, people are taking pride in place and doing small things, uh, not building the road, but doing small things to get things going. But I actually love that example because like winning Mm -hmm. in this work is a proliferation of community led efforts to engage their neighbors mm-hmm. and improve the place they live. You know, we talk a lot about mental health and so- mm-hmm. social isolation and other social determinants of health. And actually, we talk a lot about health. Let's speak more mm-hmm. broadly. Mm-hmm. A lot of the social determinants of health relate to participation and belonging. And if you can use place as a mm-hmm. touchstone to bring people together, it has such a it's such a powerful tool mm-hmm. for it's a multi solver of mm-hmm. problems, mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah. So it's exciting when it catches on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about all the murals that are that are all yeah. over. Yeah, I'd love fun. to see more like all over all over Nova Scotia. All over Nova Scotia, yeah. would be great. And I have maybe one final sure. question for you that we usually like to ask our guests, which is a little bit more around entrepreneurship because we talk about that at uh, onside and. Entrepreneurship, do you think nurture or nature? Yeah, I mean, I think it's nurture. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's not uh, in the code of DNA Mm. to be creative or not, to be curious or not. I think anybody has that capacity for curiosity and which I think is a building block mm-hmm. of innovation. I think that the it's incumbent on us as leaders to ensure that every kid Mm -hmm. gets an opportunity to sort of um, develop those muscles Mm -hmm. uh, and has the opportunity to experience different things and to be challenged in different ways. And and schools do that a little bit. And I think public spaces can do that Mm -hmm. in ways that maybe schools can't because Mm -hmm. of their ability to bring really diverse people together. Mm -hmm. You know, and in a, oftentimes in a, context of sort of celebration and recreation and like exploration. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think it's 100%. I think it's 98% 
mm-hmm. uh, nurture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe a little a little kernel of nature in there. Maybe yeah. there's some nature. You'll tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> no, no, maybe. no. I don't know the research I, I, on this I, stuff. I actually I don't know the research either. But we've gotten like very different opinions on the show. So Interesting. I'm, it's uh, I'm always curious what what people are saying. Well, this has been fantastic. Yeah, I've enjoyed you. having you here. If people want to learn more about you and Evergreen and what you're working on, what's the best way that they can connect? Yeah, I'm so I have an email address. It's jangel at evergreen.ca, but I'm on LinkedIn. I actually think it's Jennifer Angel. Uh, <laughs> and I'm on Twitter, Jen Angel NS, but I, had, I don't have very many followers. Okay, and I'll I, follow I you. rarely I'll follow post. You. I might start posting. <laughs> I say that every year. Uh, I need to post some things. But but yeah, I, I'd okay. love to hear from people anytime. And yeah, I'd be with questions, but also I'd love to hear what people are thinking about this stuff and what projects they're involved in. Um, we're going to be looking sort of coast mm. to coast to coast at how we can help uh, get projects off the ground and, and help people bring community together, bring whatever. We'll be a bit of a Swiss Army knife and bring whatever mm. we can to help support projects. I like that. I'll be I'll be looking for you at meetings with Excellent. your Swiss Army knife. Excellent. <laughs> and that's great. And I want to thank all of our uh, listeners for tuning in. You can hear more about Onside and our work at onsidenow.ca. Go there to check out some indicators that we have from our Inclusive Innovation Monitor. And as we come to a close, we would like to thank Nova Scotia's Community, Culture, and Heritage. We're so grateful for your support in helping us to make our podcast. And uh, stay tuned for future episodes. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you. This has been a Podstarter production. production.